Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, good morning, good morning. How we doing? Okay, okay, happy Valentine's Day. Um, we are, uh, I would have a little fun this morning since it's Valentine's Day. And uh, let's see, let's see. Um, uh, let's see, men and women, married couples, got a few of those in here, I see. Um, got a little giveaway. Let's, let's, start, let's start it this way. If you've been married, uh, here you've been married um, five years or less, stand up and remain standing. Five years or less, stand up and remain standing. Yeah, no, 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 we clap for the people who are way on up there. <coughs> Around here, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, help me, Bill. Um, we had, in fact, um, uh, is, is Debbie in this service? I don't, uh, she sang, she's been singing. Her, her uh, uh, grandparents, or uh, Mr. and Mrs. Vogel, who were wonderful members of our church, they've both gone to be with the Lord now. But a few years back, we, we celebrate, helped them celebrate their 68th. Yes, that's what we clap for. That, that, yeah, yeah, we, we helped... <clears throat> We helped them celebrate their 68th uh, wedding anniversary. And uh, Ralph was just, he was one great guy, great sense of humor. And so there are a bunch of us young, pardon? Yeah, I, right, that's right, that's right. I, I can't argue with that. Um, he, um, well, then you can vouch for me what I'm telling is the truth. He, a uh, bunch of us young guys, were, younger guys were around him and said, one guy said, how do you make it to 68 years? And he said, oh, it's easy. And he said, it's easy, it's easy, really. He said, first you make it to 67. <laughs> so, okay, five years, okay, five years or less. Okay, we've got a bunch. How about four years or less remain standing? Whoa, whoa. You've been married four years or less, remain standing. Uh, three years or less, remain standing. Two years or less, remain standing. Whoa, whoa. One year, 12 months or less, remain standing. 12 months. Uh, 11 months. Okay, that was funny. Several of the guys went, Is it, is it been 11 months? <laughs> is it what? Is it been... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, 11 months. Wow, still got a few. Uh, 10 months or less remain standing. 9 months or less remain standing. 8 months or less remain standing. I got two in the balcony and one here. Am I missing any others? Three in the balcony. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, there. Okay. Wow, three months. Where was I? 7 months or less. Six months or less. There goes one. Five, four, four months or less. Uh oh. We got, got one. There he is. All right, Mason. How many? How how long? Three months. Three months. She's in the children's bed. You got to go get her. I got a present for you. No, no, no. <laughs> Now I tell you what I tell you what I'm uh, you're, I know you're uh, on duty up there, uh, Mason. We have for the two of you a um, a gift uh, of a um, full registration, fully paid registration 
to a um, fun uh, marriage retreat at Windshape Marriage in uh, Rome sometime in the, this next 12 months. It's all, all yours. Uh, we've got it here. You can check the schedule whenever it's ready. Contact Elaine Gardner, my assistant. She'll help you make the arrangements. But uh, congratulations. Would you celebrate with these guys? Yeah. Um, I don't know how to get it to you. I'm not good with paper airplanes, but uh, I'll tell you what. It's right here. It's right here. Got it? Okay, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. You'll notice on your note sheet in the bulletin for the sermons today, sermon today, that the title of the sermon is, Can God Be a God of Love and Wrath? Well, as I got to working on that sermon, I thought, I don't know that I can make the wrath of God fit on Valentine's Day. So I changed it. But next week, come back, buddy, I'm going to make Jonathan Edwards look like a wimp. Uh, So uh, we're going to take a look next week at what the Bible says about God's wonderful wrath. Believe it or not, uh, it is. It is. So today, instead... I thought we would drill down on um, God's love. And so as we've been for months and will continue to be for months, going to the Scriptures, to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and uh, I'm calling the series, I keep changing the title of this series because it's so long. I think it's, uh, we might call it Jesus on Life. And uh, we're going to go to one of His great teachings today uh, that... Um, that relates and would help us to understand love. Because um, one time, Mick Jones, guitarist for Foreigner, asked me, he said, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. (laughs) Okay, I made that up. Uh, But he did sing that to somebody, and it's probably being played today somewhere else. Don't you think, Bill? Um, no, he does not know me. Uh, uh, Mick Jones is the one who uh, once said uh, of of me, uh, Keith Moore, who? He he doesn't he doesn't know me. So let's turn to one of the most familiar teachings of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Ryan, could I get a little more monitor? I can't. I'm, I'm I think I'm shouting at everybody. Thank you. It's found in. The most famous sermon ever preached. Thank you, that's good. uh, Most famous sermon ever preached. Sermon on the Mount. Over about chapter 7 of Matthew. Gospels Matthew. Take your hard copy or your Bible, your digital copy on your phone or your tablet. We use them every week. Most powerful thing we can do to know Jesus and to be uh, love Him and transformed by Him is reflection on the Scriptures. You just can't do better than that. We use it every week. Matthew chapter 7. First book of the New Testament, chapter 7, verse 12. This is what the Lord said. This is God's Word. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. This is God's Word, Matthew 7, 12. Now, we know this as what? The the what? The golden Rule. I've got this little book in my library called Children's Letters to God. I recommend that you get it. And in there, one little girl wrote this letter. She, I like how she addressed it. Dear Mr. God. <laughs> Pretty good way to start your prayers. Dear Mr. God, 
Do you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm really going to fix my brother. Now the cynics change it a little bit and say it this way. Do unto others before they do unto you. I worked for a guy like that one time. He was a real joy. The power hungry say it this way. He who has the gold makes the rule. But Jesus said, do to others what you would have them do to you. This again, possibly, arguably, certainly one of the most well-known Bible verses worldwide. One of the most quoted. In fact, many people quote this verse who don't even know it's in or from uh, the Bible. It is the Mount Everest of ethics. You can't get better. You can't get clearer. You can't get more powerful or high and lofty uh, in ethical living uh, than Jesus' teaching that we call the golden rule. And so in it, He spells out for you and me how what it actually looks like to live out part of our mission to love God and love people or to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Jesus was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And He said, it is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. And He said, the second is right up there next to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where we get our mission, part of our mission to make more and better followers of Christ who love God and love people. Love people. What does it look like to to love your neighbor as yourself? Here, Jesus says, this is, what it, this, is what, this is what it's like. This is what it looks like. Uh, this is what we do to practically live out uh, this mandate, this command that I'm giving you to love your neighbor as yourself. He explains how to implement this. If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, he would say, then whatever you want them to do for you, do also for them. That's what it looks like. Now, as a general guide to you and me in specific ethical decisions, the golden rule has never been bettered. Never, ever. And and while it applies to all human relationships, individuals and groups, while it applies to all human relationships, since it's Valentine's Day, why don't we take this and apply it to our romantic relationships today. Our husbands and wives, fiancés, girlfriends and boyfriends. How, let, let's, let's see how it applies uh, there. And so if you want the Cliff Notes version of the Bible's entire teaching about what it means to relate to another person in a loving way, this is it. It's a revolutionary statement. Now, uh, Some who question the Christian faith bring to our attention that something like this was taught before Jesus showed up on the planet. And that's true. We don't deny that. We we acknowledge that. But it's a little bit different. For example, 500 years before Jesus walked the planet, Confucius wrote these words, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. 400 years before Jesus was on the earth, a philosopher from Athens, Greece, wrote these words, 
whatever angers you when you suffer at the hands of others, do not do to others. 300 years before Jesus, uh, the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers wrote these words, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. In 20 BC, a young man, a, a young Gentile man who was considering converting to Judaism came to uh, the, the famous uh, Jewish rabbi Hillel and said, I am ready to convert to Judaism under one condition. If you can teach me the whole Jewish law while, while I'm standing on one foot. Now, that was an idiom of the day that meant if you can cut through all the unnecessary details and give me a laser-like definition of all of the truth of your faith uh, just in just a second, if you can do that, I'm in. Pretty good challenge. Well, Hillel said this to him. It was written down. What is hateful to yourself, do to no other. That is the whole law. All else is commentary. Now, these axioms, although very helpful, are all uh, weaker than Jesus' teaching the golden rule. They're weaker because they are in the negative. They're all in the negative. They come up, they come up the, the ethical si side of, of the mountain on the negative side uh, of, of things. There's a big difference between their teaching and Jesus' teaching, and here's the difference. There are two, two aspects. You ready? You ready? Here we go. First aspect is this. In, in some religions, these negative versions were based on selfish reciprocity. In other words, uh, it was a guarding of self-centered efforts. It basically said, I'm not going to hurt you in any way in hopes that you won't hurt me in, in any way. But the golden rule is not based on selfish reciprocity. It is based on selfless generosity. It, uh, it calls us to be caring and loving to other people no matter their response. No matter their response. Second, second under the, these negative versions, a person could live an incredibly passive life. Just simply not doing anything to harm another person. I'm just not going to do anything. You may... You know, a rock could obey that. Uh, very, very passive. But the golden rule that Jesus gives us calls us to be proactively loving and caring toward other people. To go on the offensive, the loving offensive, uh, grab the initiative to be openly caring and loving to the people around us. Now, in our setting today, to our husband or wife or fiance or boyfriend or girlfriend. And, um, and so here's the good news. If you want to love the one you love best, if you want to best love the one you love, then the golden rule is love's secret weapon. It is love's silver bullet. It is, it is, it is God's secret weapon for loving someone magnificently. You can best love the one you love by treating them the way you want to be treated. You can best love the one you love by treating them the way you want to be treated. So, so if we do so, what kind of action would we take? Two aspects here. Let, let's get even a little more clear. Uh, it means, first of all, you put the one you love in your place 
Second, you put yourself in their place. And uh, here's what that looks like. We, first of all, put the one we love in our place. Our spouse, our, our, our fiancé, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, we put them on the level as we see them as not only as valuable as we see ourselves, but we see them as more important. We see them, we choose to see them as more important. We choose to see and behave toward them as if they were more important than we are. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says the same thing. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. But you might, you might be saying, okay, pastor, I get it. I mean, that's easy. I can understand that. I see that. I see how that would, why that would be a good thing. But, you know, I never feel like doing that. I never feel like doing that. Why, why don't I feel like doing that? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is it has to do with the process of falling in love with somebody and continuing to love them. You see, when, uh, when we first fall in love, love is a feeling. Now, love is much more than that, but it also includes our emotions, right? Love is a feeling. When we first are attracted to someone, it, love is a feeling. Um, there's, a, there's a formal um, uh, scholarly definition of that feeling, and, and you can write this down. It's called the tingles. We get, we get the tingles for some, someone else. And then it, the tingles go to a, uh, an emotional obsession with that person and it's thrilling and it's painful and you're up and down and oh it's wonderful it's what most of our uh, love songs are written about and most of the movies romantic comedies are are uh, all about and uh, you know it's it's what much of the marketing for today valentine's day is all about just the tingles the tingles and the emotional obsession now when you get emotionally obsessed with someone you got the tingles for them we we, we can't see their flaws. We don't see any of their flaws. Now, your mama can. Right? And your mama did. And your mama did. And us dads, we could see it. You know, for all you ladies, you got daughters, dads, we could see it, couldn't we? Yeah, I'd say, you know, I'd tell them, don't, some of these hairy-legged, I could see those hairy-legged boys before, turning on the street before they got to my door and go, too much of a doofus factor, right there. I could see him. I could see him. But thank God, he sent me two good ones. You know, I, when when the right one showed up, I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Aren't you interested in him? You know, aren't you? Listen, and I got the right ones. My girls got the right ones. So thank the Lord uh, for them. And guys, if you're listening in on this, I'm giving you a shot here. You know, if you're listening to this sermon this week, and so, um, but we can't see it. We can't see it. And the, and the. Um, uh, so love, you know, sometimes we hear love is blind. It's talking about the tingle section of love. So love itself is not blind, but the tingles phase can be blind. And so there's no problem there. But the tingles, the tingles are great, but they last on the average about two years. They last on the average uh, about 
two years, and then, and then they fade away. Now that's why, some of you think that's all that, that love is, and that's why if you're, in, you're dating, you look back and you've, you've, you're, the landscape is littered with 18-month to two-year relationships in your life. Because, oh, well, you know, we just didn't feel about each other. And that's what the, you know, we write love songs about that. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness, you know. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, 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 you know, and what's the, how's the course go? Y'all are terrible. (laughs) You've lost that love and feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's not the, it's the tingles. And that's what we write about. We think, well, there, so people come to pastors like me and say, well, you know, we, we just don't love each other anymore. No, 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 no. It's the tingles. They're going away. Now that's when the hard work, the real work, uh, begins of, of, of deepening the kind of love that God intends for us uh, to have. And um, at that point, when the tingles go away, the blinders come off. And we, can, we begin to see some of the, uh, the flaws and the, um, uh, the things in our loved one that bug us a little bit. Okay, now are looking at each other now. You know, we begin to see those things, and they do bug us. I mean, I was I was looking for some illustrations online, Bill, for this this uh, yesterday. Just and I, and I did a Google search, and one gal's uh, blog popped up. Now she's got to have a secure husband because she's still married, and he lets her do all this. The title of her blog is "My Husband Annoys Me." And uh, not everything on there is worth reading, but it was pretty funny, I got to tell you. But uh, we begin, we, then we begin to see the things that, that bug us and we're irritated at it, so we don't, we don't as easily feel like putting them as more important than ourselves and putting ourselves in, in their their place. And so mature love becomes a, an attitude. It becomes a choice. It becomes a choice to remove ourselves from first place and put our spouse there. And whatever we want them to do for us, we do the same for them. It is love's secret weapon. Now, we need a daily reminder. And so I'm going to give you two key uh, questions to ask. Here's the first one. Uh, the first key, jot this down. Here's the first question. Every day when you get up, you re- put it as an affirmation. Can, uh, put it on your uh, as a reminder on your your daily planner on your little electronic t- uh, time management that, that, a reminder that pops up every day so that you see it and you ask this question: How can I best serve my spouse today? How can I best serve my husband, my wife? How can I best serve my fiance today? It, it changes. You, you go from how can I get what I want. How can I how can I st- demand my rights to no how how do I make them practically feel and be more important than uh, than me how can I do that it's a great great reminder so um, 
if you want to love the one you love the best, that this is kind of what it looks like to treat uh, someone like that. Second, you put yourself in their place. Uh, you know, self-centeredness drives us most of the time. But so we have to use our imagination to put ourselves in our spouse's shoes. And here's the key question. When any circumstance comes up that bugs us, something they have said, something they have done, uh, some, some behavior that bugs us, uh, the key question to ask is, how would I like to be treated in their place? How would I like to be... So, so uh, wives, when your husband comes home at night and the one thing you told him to do on the way home, he forgot. Mmm... The one thing he forgot to stop, bring the bread in. Then, then, then rather than you ask the question, what, how would I like to be treated if, by me if I was him right now? Probably you wouldn't say, I wouldn't want to be beat severely about the head and shoulders with my words. You know, I wouldn't want to be nibbled to death like a duck with my nagging. Probably not. Um, guys, when your wife does that thing that always bugs you the most, that you said, I've, we've talked about this a thousand times and it happens again, you would ask the question, wait a minute, now, how would I like to be treated if I were in her place? It just changes everything. That's a practical way to live this out. The golden rule transforms our actions, it, it guides us in how to serve one another. I, so I put them in my place, I put myself in their place. So can you imagine how much better life would be if this became your habitual practice in your relationship with your spouse or your fiancé? Can you imagine no more domestic violence, uh, fewer, fewer arguments and fights, no more divorce, an ever-increasing intimacy with and enjoyment of your spouse. Ever-increasing intimacy with and enjoyment of each other for the rest of your life until, Lord willing, maybe you'll get up to that 67, 68, 69-year mark like, the, like Mr. and Mrs. Vogel did. But ever-increasing, ever-increasing, this is what would happen. Yet, we have a problem. Here's our problem. We can't do it. Oh, we can't do it. Well, so sure we can. No, no, no. Nobody lives up to the golden rule. There are those who say keeping the golden rule is what makes them okay with God. Well, then nobody's okay with God if you've got to keep the golden rule uh, perfectly to be made okay with God because nobody lives up to the golden rule all the time. No one. No one. It reminds us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But those of you who already trust in Christ, uh, we, even those of us who trust in Christ, we can't keep the golden rule all the time. What is our problem? Is it because the golden rule is too complicated? No. Is it because the golden rule is too hard to understand? No, 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 no. It is because it's not a matter of the head, it's a matter of the heart. We have a heart problem. We need... Uh, heart surgery, spiritual heart surgery. 
God commands us to practice the golden rule and He actually holds us responsible to do so so that in part all of us will will realize we can't do it, that we need outside help. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We need for our hearts to be changed. Such a principle can only be consistently practiced by those who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ the Holy Spirit of God who enables us to do such a supernatural thing. And the golden rule, the good news is, the golden rule will begin to typify uh, the follower of Jesus as he or she are transformed by the grace of God and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit over time, transforming us, renovating our hearts, turning us into people who look and act like Jesus Himself. The presence in the life of Jesus Himself begins to be expressed through our bodies toward the ones that we that we love. We need outside help. Now remember, let's go back again, remind the, the, the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, it goes like this. First, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That comes first. Then you're able to love your neighbor as yourself. Because as Christ, as we love Him, and He begins to change us from the inside out, over time, over time, He will begin to shrink our self-centeredness. And He will begin to swell our selfless love and our capacity to love others and to treat them as we would like to be treated. He does that for us. He commands it. Actually, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Okay? How? Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. Well, just how did He love us? Well, Philippians chapter 2 says, He loved us by considering us more important than His own interest. It says that He didn't consider being God in heaven, equality with God, something to be clutched greedily, but He readily emptied Himself of all of that and came to earth taking on the form of a man and being obedient to this heavenly vision all the way to death on the cross for you and me. Love, love, just as I have loved you, How did He love us? He considered us more important than Himself. He goes on in John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my command. He hammers it again. Love one another as I have loved you. And then He spells it out even more. No one has greater love than this than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what He did for you and me. He's saying, for those of us who've already trusted Him, Don't forget it. Remember my love for you. I laid down my life for you while you were in open revolt and rebellion against my ownership and rule over your everyday life. You were a sinner. I still came and died for you on the cross for your sins in your place. You remember, greater love has no one than this than one would lay down his life for his friends. And when we remember that love, his love for us, we fall in love with him. 
Remember, he said in, in, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. In other words, if you love me, you will be able to keep my commands. Because as you know and dwell on the gospel, my love for you, how high, how deep, how wide, how long is the love of God uh, expressed toward us in Christ Jesus. If, when you dwell on that, that it, you see it is a love so overwhelming that it both motivates and enables us to be and do what He wants us to be and do. It not only gives us the want to, it gives us the power to live out the golden rule. To treat other people like we want to be treated. To treat our spouse how we want to be, how, um, how we would like to be treated. So when it comes to loving the one you love, golden rule is the way to go. But some of you don't have Christ in your heart and your life. And you'd say, well, Keith, how do I have this love of Christ in my life to begin with? Three ways, three things you must do. What must I do to have this? You must, watch me, you must repent of your sin. You must place your faith in Jesus. And you must follow Jesus publicly. You must, first of all, repent of your sin. That means that you admit it, you acknowledge it, and that you want to turn away from it. Not only that you're sorrow, sorrowful, but you want to turn away from it and come to Christ. It's just like a soldier marching down the drill field and the command is given to the rear march. Immediately, he turns and goes in the opposite direction. When we repent of our sins, we turn from our sin and we turn to God through Jesus. You also must then place your faith in Jesus. That means... You place your active trust in Christ. What He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead and ask Him to apply it to you personally. It's not just enough just to believe that He did it. You must say, I need it, and put your trust in His hands. It's just like this past week. I needed to get home from Clearwater uh, from a pastor's meeting back to Atlanta on Thursday. Well, I, I believe that that plane would leave at 9.45 and that it would take me just fine back to Atlanta. But that was not enough. I had to believe it enough to check in, check my bags, go, get out to the, to the gate, and then actually walk onto the plane and buckle myself in that seat and let it take me. Because if I didn't do that, it's going without me. I could believe all day long, but if I don't get on the plane, I'm left. Behind. And if you can believe in Jesus all day long, but unless you take action and get on the plane, you're going to be left behind. That's active trust. I repent of my sin. I place my trust in Jesus. And then you must follow Jesus publicly. He said, if you deny me before, my before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That means that you plan and schedule your Christian baptism, which is the way God designed in the Bible for believers to go public with their faith and say to the world, beautifully and symbolically, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I don't care who knows it, I am all in. That's the way. And some of you need to do that. Need to do that. You can take this step by praying a prayer of commitment. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Now, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. These are not magic words. God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if this expresses the attitude of your heart, make it your heartfelt prayer to the Lord Jesus on your own, from your heart. I'm going to lead you through out loud. Pray with me. Say this to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I have gone my own way. I have sinned in my thoughts, in my speech, and my actions. And I'm sorry for my sins. I turn from them in repentance to you right now. I believe that you died for me, bearing my sins in your body on the cross. Thank you for your great love. Now I open the door of my heart and life to you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and forgive and cleanse me. Come in as my Lord and take control of me. And I will serve you as you give me strength all the days of my life. Lord, I want to thank You for hearing these prayers. I want to thank You that You have made a way by the indwelling presence of Your Holy Spirit and Your amazing grace to turn us into the kind of people who can do unto others as we would have them do unto us, who could love our neighbor as ourselves, and especially on this day, could focus on loving our spouse or our fiancé or boyfriend or girlfriend in holy ways, in good ways, and the right way. Make it so. Lord, thank you for hearing the prayers of those who wanted to become your followers for the very first time. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcasts, video, and more.